It's Steve Opple's first ever New Day. Could you be upstanding, given the welcome of welcomes, Steve Opple? Hey, thank you, thank you, thank you. You may be seated. It's an absolute delight to be with you this evening. Let me just pray for us. Father, thank you that you are here at New Day in all the spaces where people are listening. I thank you that you're watching every heart You know all of our thoughts, that we are in a moment of a divine appointment with you. I thank you that you've orchestrated for us to be here. You want to speak to us. You want to activate something inside of us. And so Holy Spirit, I ask you for your rest and your revelation to come upon each of us here today. May we feel the rest, the peace of the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you are the one that makes things come alive. You help us to see what we have been unable to see. So today, I pray for each person at New Day that you would help us to see you You would help us to see your plan. You would help us to see ourselves. And you would help us to see the world. And I pray that you would touch our emotions so that we would feel the way that you feel. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, it's a... It's an absolute delight to be with you. And before I get into speaking, just so you know who's speaking to you, for three or four minutes, let me tell you a bit about myself. I was born into a Sikh family, so I'm Indian, Punjabi Indian. But my parents gave their lives to Christ when I was just a little baby. And I was five years old And I'd been sent to bed early because I think I'd done something naughty. But I can't remember what I'd done, but I'd been sent to bed. And I was ever so afraid lying in bed. Outside the house, the kind of room where I was, it was a shared family home. Aunts, uncles, my parents, their kids. And there were photos of gurus on the wall. And I'm a five-year-old, put my head on the pillow, and I can hear footsteps. What I didn't realize at five years old, it was my heart beating. So I was petrified. I was imagining these gurus were gonna come down the hall, open the door, and somebody was gonna get me. And so I was so frightened, and the only thing I could think of was my dad telling me about Jesus and saying to me, if I'm ever frightened, if I ever wanna receive Jesus into my life, all I have to do is to pray. I think he'd led me in prayer a number of times already, but at that moment, five years old, I knelt down, got out of bed, knelt down by the side of the bed. I can't remember what I prayed, but it was something like, I'm ever so afraid, Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life right now. 
I don't remember what happened after that. I'm nearly 50 years old now, but I remember that as a point of decision when I realized I needed Jesus. That was five years old. When I was eight years old, I was in a meeting and somebody preached about the Holy Spirit and I thought, that sounds exciting. And when they gave a time for prayer, I went forward and I received the Holy Spirit into my life. The Holy Spirit is a person, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I knew a little bit about him, but not a whole lot. But at eight years old, somebody prayed for me and I received the Holy Spirit. And it changed my life. I started to pray in other languages. I felt there was a greater boldness. So that's five years old, eight years old, I was 11 years old and somebody prophesied over me in a large meeting and said something like, you're gonna preach all over the world. God's got his hand on you and where you go, evil spirits will be afraid you're coming. I was 11, I had no idea what it meant, but it marked me that God had called me and chosen me. Five, eight, 11, here's the last number, 13. At 13 years old, I started to share my faith about Jesus with people in school. And first one friend gave their life to Christ, then another one, and then another one. And before I knew it, over about a two, three year period, there was 40 of us meeting in a room in the school every lunchtime. I look back on that, I look back on it and I just know it had to be gone because we had no idea what we were doing. But we were, every time the bell rang, we would be praying for people to give their lives to Christ. Many of those who gave their lives to Christ then are in church or even church leadership today. So I'm just telling you, here's a little Indian boy. I've not been to university, not been to college, but if God can take me and do something with me, it tells me that every one of us has an invitation to be involved in God's story. Is that true? I believe God's eyes are on you today. I believe he's looking to you and I believe that we're here for the next few moments and that the Lord is gonna give you a divine invitation. If I get to it, I wanna speak about God's story, your story, our story and then their story. God's story sets the whole scene, but when we know God's story, knowing God helps us to discover our story. And when we know our story, we then learn our identity, we discover our purpose, we know why we're here, and then God plants us with other people and we start walking out a story with them connected to others that God has placed around us as support, as friends, as people who give us courage. But it doesn't stop there, it moves from there and I think this should be where the Lord wants to take us this evening. It moves out just from his story, my story or our story, our community being planted together, and God has his eyes on eight billion people out there. And he wants them involved in his story. 
He wants to invite them in and he has a plan for you to be involved in that story. I'm going to go back a few years and tell you a, a vision I've had. I haven't had many visions, so it's not something that happens regularly. But I remember being in this Anglican church. I was there for a day to speak. And during the worship, I felt the Lord tell me to lie down. This is going back a while. People didn't kneel where the church I was from. They didn't lie down. And I'm arguing with God saying, I don't want to lie down. Like it's cold, the floor, stone cold floor in an Anglican church. And it doesn't look like anybody else is expressive in worship right now. But the impression was so strong that I got down, I lay down, and the moment I lay down, I was caught up into a vision. And I had this vision, and I saw a sea of people, like thousands upon thousands, across multiple fields. It was just so many people that I could see. As far as the eye could see, there were people, thousands upon thousands. And what struck me was everybody was doing what they wanted to be doing. Some were on their own standing, some were in small groups, some were sitting, some were worshiping, some were arguing with one another, some were enjoying God's presence. Everybody was doing what they wanted to be doing and I'm watching this crowd and I knew that these were Christ followers, they were Christians. And then my attention was taken over to a hillside and on this hillside was an angel. I mean, a huge, massive angel, 30, 40 feet tall. And the angel pulled a trumpet, held it to its mouth and began to blow. And a strong alarm, like a war cry, went out over that crowd of people. It was, an, it was a deafening sound. It was heaven calling God's people to attention. It was God saying, stop what you're doing, pay attention to what I am saying. I believe it was a sound and a call to war. It was a sound saying, now it's time to advance. It was a time saying, it's time to get strong. It was ever so loud, ever so strong, but I watched the crowd and I saw three different responses. The first response was some people were so busy with what they were doing that they never even looked up from their activity. Huge sound, great alarm. Heaven is calling for earth's attention as a trumpet sounding. And this first group of people are so captivated in their own agenda, they never even look up. They don't hear it. And I'm wondering, how can they not hear this sound? The second response I saw was people who heard it, they looked up, they looked around, and they had a choice. They were deciding, do I want to stop what I'm doing and pay attention to the sound from heaven, or am I going to carry on? And there was this tension inside of them about their life right now, where they are, what they're involved in. They were weighing up the cost if I say yes to him, it's going to cost me this. Do I really want to stop this to give him my attention right now? And I watched most of those people who were having that tension looked 
and then went back to what they were familiar with, what they were engrossed in. They in effect made a decision to say, I'll keep doing what I'm doing, thank you very much. The third group of people I saw, as soon as they heard the sound, their hands came down by their sides, their faces looked straight ahead, they stopped all conversation, they stopped what they were doing, and they gave their attention to what heaven was asking. It was a sign of total, absolute surrender to God. And then I observed something. The people who gave that third response, as they stood there, the sound of the trumpet went through them and they grew. It's a bit weird. A sound goes through them and they grew in stature, they grew in strength, they suddenly became solid, strong, slightly taller than they were before. And I realized our surrender to God, our yes to him gets his attention and he starts imparting things into our lives almost immediately in our yes to him. I know it's a daily growth. We walk with the Lord. We stay in the scriptures. But the moment a person says yes and it's wholehearted, it gets God's attention straight away. And he comes and he says, I'll strengthen you to walk with me. I'll strengthen your resolve to make good decisions. I'll strengthen your will as you walk with me so you make good choices. When I came out of that experience, I heard the Lord kind of whispering to me. He said, I have called you as one of many, so I don't think it's unique. I think there's a few people called to do this but to blow a trumpet and raise up an end time army for me. And you know, when I came and stood there for worship this evening, I heard just the whisper of the Holy Spirit again, just raise me an army, son. I believe that you are part of God's end time plan, his end time purpose. Not one of you is an accident. You were born by God's divine design. So God's story, let me go there. In Psalm 24, it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who belong to it because he created it, he founded it on the waters, it's his. I don't know if you hear that. The earth is the Lord's. It's God saying, the world is mine, the people are mine, because I made it. It's a declaration of lordship. So when we look at God's story, I would say to you today, God's the one who is in charge. God's the one who knows best. God's the one who knows how my sexuality should work. God's the one who knows how marriage works. God knows how communities work. There may be 10,000 opinions out there, but God says, it's all mine, I made it, I know best. I don't know about you, but I say to the Lord, I happily, I often do this, I happily submit to your Lordship. I say, you know best. 
You know how best I should function. You know how best I should flourish. You know how best relationships should work. You understand sexuality. You understand intimacy. I'm gonna bring myself under your lordship. Here's what I've learned over the years, that if it doesn't start with God's story, trying to discover my story becomes near on impossible. It always starts by looking to him first, recognizing his lordship, his leadership, that he knows best. Do you agree with that? He knows best. He knows how you function best. He created you, gave you a personality, put you inside of a body. He's written a story for you. And when you come to him and you say, I submit to your lordship, it's when things start falling into place in a person's life. I believe that the generation that God is raising are gonna delight to submit to his lordship. Google doesn't know best. Facebook doesn't know best. Insta doesn't know best. TikTok doesn't know best. Elon Musk does not know best. They're all powerful voices wanting to shape what we believe. Hollywood does not know best. Pop artists or singers don't know best. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He knows best. He knows how everything works. He knows you, he made you. And I would say to you as my first main point, submit to his leadership. When there's pressure all around you, I'll go to the one who created everything. He's been around longer than everybody. He's the creator. I'm gonna say, I believe what you say not what somebody my age says or somebody a little bit older. I'm gonna go to the the one who is the uh, ancient of days. No beginning, no end. He sees everything, he knows everything and I willingly submit to him. We won't read it right now but in Psalm 2, the nations rage against Jesus' leadership. They don't want his leadership. They consider it chains. And they're like, we wanna throw off what you say. We don't believe what, it's the rulers, it's the CEOs, they're trying to push back against God. You're old fashioned, we've grown past you, we don't need you. And the Bible says in Psalm two, the one enthroned in heaven seated there, He laughs at them and he commands them, kiss the son, Jesus, submit to him, lest he be angry with you. So I've decided I'm not gonna wait till the end and then kiss the son. I willingly give my devotion to Christ now. And you are being tested in the world around you. People want your loyalty. They will tell you that's old fashioned. I would rather go God's way, who knows everything, sees everything, made everything, has my best interest at heart. He's a good, loving father, I trust him. Rather than a 30-year-old influencer on TikTok. Like, 30 years experience, the ancient of days. 
I think I'll go with the Ancient of Days. Thank you very much. It is a lifelong journey to get to know God's ways, but it is a beautiful journey. It's a great adventure. And I've realized my story begins by learning God's story, submitting to his leadership, saying, I don't know a whole lot. I didn't know a whole lot at five. I didn't know a whole lot at eight or 13. I knew I loved God. It was raw. I didn't have a lot of theology, but I started a journey with my Bible and a prayer life, embracing fasting from a teenager. I was fasting every Monday, every Wednesday, every Friday when I was 15, 16 years old. My mom thought I was crazy. But do you know what? I was seeing results of people giving their lives to Christ in my school. And I want to say to you, don't let anybody else tell you you're too radical for God. God is raising a radical group of people in our generation. They're going to give their all to follow him. The second story. So the first story is God's story. The second story is your story. But your story only comes into focus as you keep your eyes on the Lord. In knowing him and seeing him, you discover who he made you to be. In Psalm 139, there's these beautiful verses and it just simply says this. David speaking, verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Some of you need to learn to say that. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. This is phenomenal. I know what it's like. My parents never abused me, but we lived in an extended house and family. I know what it is to be beaten quite badly as a child. I know what it is to be locked in a pantry where there's no light and absolutely petrified. And the fear of the dark stayed with me right into my teenage years, even though I was only three or four when I was locked there. I know what it is to have fear walking through a living room and in case I get hit by an adult in that room who's drunk. And so all of those years in my childhood tried to shape me into a person that had fear, didn't feel good enough, didn't feel I could make it. But as I started to look to him, he started to show me, that's not my story for you, Steve. That's not what I wrote in my book. The enemy tried to subvert some things, but I have a plan for your life. I wrote your story out before you were even born. He's a loving father with good thoughts and good plans for his children. Here's some some really deep theology. God is ever so good. The devil is ever so bad. 
There's your theology. Good God, bad devil. And a good God loves you today. He's got a plan for your life. I I would also go as far as to say this generation that we're in, I always thought at eight years old, 11 years old, 13 years old, 18 years old, I thought I'm gonna do something amazing for God with my life. And I've tried to be obedient and do some stuff and I'm thankful for what I've been able to do. But in recent weeks, I've realized that the people who are gonna do amazing things for God are people like you. You were born, you were born into the right generation, into the right body, into the right color skin, in the right time frame, and you're in the right geography right now. Wow. God ordained where he wanted you alive. Now, bad devil, he'll tell you, you're in the wrong body, you're in the wrong geography, you should have been in another nation, you should have been born 200 years earlier, you would have done better in the future. God didn't make any of those mistakes. He wanted you alive right now because he has a plan for you as part of his big story. And I'm here this evening to help you to realize Well, I would go as far as to say that in Jesus' name, every lie spoken over you breaks right now in Jesus' name. Lies come tumbling down and the truth of God's word settles in. A good heavenly father. I know I've had some bad experiences. I grew up in a couple of schools when I was younger that were very racist. Teachers were racist to me, students were racist. I suffered greatly, very, very lonely for a season of my life. But I don't blame God. I realize he works all things out for my good. I've come out the other end stronger, not bitter. I've come out the other end and I trust him for who he is. So it doesn't really matter what gets thrown at you. Turn your attention to the Father and say, I'm gonna trust you anyway. We're gonna break the power of the devil off my life and how he's been trying to subvert. And I believe you do have a plan for me. Let me say this to you. Since I've been eight years old, I've had a hunger for God to move in revival fire, revival power. My dad was crazy in love with Jesus. So for about seven years, he got rid of the television in the house and it was before the internet and before mobile phones. So he tells you how long ago that was. So the only form of entertainment I had was to go pick up books off the shelf and read them. And I found a book about a man called Smith Wigglesworth and I read it and I realized, wow, God lived inside a human like 80 years ago and that human raised the dead, healed the sick, And he traveled all across the world, but he was an uneducated plumber that God took hold of. I read about Hudson Taylor, who went as a missionary to China at the age of 22 years old. And by the end of his life, he'd planted 105 mission stations all the way throughout China. But when he landed in China, he knew no Mandarin, nobody knew his name, and he had 10 pounds in his pocket, and that was it, 22 years old. And Shanghai was in a civil war. Imagine that, 22 years old, 
1852, you get on a boat, you travel for six months, you get to your destination, nobody knows you're coming, they don't know your name, you've only got 10 pounds on you, and you can't speak the language, and the country's in war. Do you know what he wrote in his journal that day? He said, I landed on the shores of China today with 10 pounds in my pocket and all of the promises of God. Wow. Fifty-one years later, just before he went home to be with Jesus, 105 mission stations, 30,000 people that he had led to the Lord and baptized himself, 130,000 Christians in China because of his missionary work. I think it's crazy that they would do that. He could do that. So these are the books I was reading and it started to ignite a fire in me. God still heals. God still uses people. God still does miracles. And I found a hunger awakening. God, could you do it again with me? I read a book about the Indonesian revival. God multiplied food. God made them invisible from the soldiers that were trying to kill them. They managed to walk across a flooded river miraculously. So I'm reading this as an eight-year-old, 10-year-old, 11-year-old, and I'm saying, God, could you do it again? Could you do it with me? I believe that God always saves his best till last. Jesus' first miracle was to turn water into wine. And what did the man at the ceremony say? He said, he said how is it that you bring out the best wine last most people serve the best wine first. I believe Jesus' first miracle was a sign for the days in which we live right now. I love the book of Acts. I love what God's done in missionary history. But I believe God is about to do something that the ears of those who hear it will not believe it. It's in Habakkuk. Even if they heard it, they'd be like, is that possible? Could that really happen? They're only 16 years old and you're really telling me that took place in their school. They're 13 years old and you're telling me they're that devoted to Christ. They're 15 years old and you're telling me they're speaking with such authority to groups of two or three or five. They're 18 years old and they've already gone into one of the stand nations and the Lord's opening up a people group that have been closed to the gospel. We are in a generation where there are divine invitations going to a generation. 20 years ago, 22 years ago to be exact, I was sat in an office, it was for a ministry I used to work for and there was a devotion time taking place, 15 minutes of devotions. We started the devotion, somebody else was teaching and immediately I was just kind of caught up in a thought process that I knew was from God. He reminded me of Hudson Taylor, William Carey who went from Northampton. He was a shoemaker and he went to India. Phenomenal missionary journey. God reminded me of all these missionaries and then he said this, in your lifetime there is coming another major missionary movement and the United Kingdom will send her best again. And it will eclipse what happened 200 years ago. 
And this is what I heard the Lord saying. He said, you will send your best. These are people who could be entrepreneurs and make lots of money. These are people who could become doctors and lawyers. And they may well get trained. These are people who could go for a natural career and have a nice, prosperous life in the West. But they are going to hear my call and they're going to be an end time army of revivalists, reformers, missionaries, church planters, full of the Holy Spirit being sent to the neighborhood and to the nations and everywhere in between. I believe we're in that season right now. I have such an anticipation for what God has begun to do. So the people I'm mentioning weren't necessarily smart people. God uses the smart, he uses the uneducated. He doesn't look at your academic ability. He doesn't look at the color of your skin. He looks at your availability to him. He's looking for your yes. The trumpet is sounding. We can go back to business as usual once New Day's finished. Go back, just get on with your same peer group, do the stuff you used to. Or I remember at 13, I'd had the prophetic word at 11, got filled with the Spirit at eight, and then 11 to 13, I just blended in with everybody at school. And at 13 years old, at a youth camp, the Lord touched me and I began weeping. And I said, Lord, I'm so sorry for being a hypocrite the last two years. I call myself a Christian, I go to youth group, but it hasn't impacted the way that I live with these group of friends. And while I was at that meeting on youth camp, I actually said to the Lord, I give you my life afresh today. I'll do what honors you. I'll live in a way. I came to the point of full surrender to him. I believe God's calling us to that today. I, I don't even know if you know what those words mean reformer it means you mess with the status quo you bring reformation wherever you go you bring things back into order and alignment the way that God intended it to be Others can run after material things. You realize it's idolatry and you're not going to go that way. Others can watch that series and say, it's okay, it's only entertainment. You live a life of a reformer that's consecrated and say, no, it does not glorify my king. I cannot give my eyes to that. Reformation is uncomfortable. It changes stuff around you. A revivalist is somebody that lives intimately with Jesus and their intimacy spills out to the world around them. And wherever they go, people start falling in love with Jesus because of who they are in Jesus. A missionary doesn't have to go far. Walking across the street is mission work. Sitting next to a friend at school intentionally, praying for them under your breath, being open to share the gospel is a missionary work. Some of you will be called to nations. I think many will be. But it starts in the classroom, in the college, in the student union bar. It starts where you are that you become one that lives by principle. 
You have seen him and his story. You have accepted his lordship and it's shaping your very story. I often say this, I love reading the stories of the past and they're amazing, but the Lord dropped this in my heart. The best stories are not written yet because they are still being lived. There is an invitation to live out a story. And, and whether an earthly biographer writes your story or not does not matter. Heaven keeps the records. Heaven sees your obedience, your faithfulness. When nobody else sees it and you make choices of integrity, heaven sees it, records it, and you will be rewarded for it. Some of the best, most powerful, significant stories are in process right now. Make wise choices, make godly choices. Don't go with the popular trends. There's some very loud noises with the volume turned up, social media and films. There's a whole onslaught against this generation, but you will make it because your father is with you. You turn your heart towards him, you will stand out like bright, radiant light in a world that's full of darkness. You were born for such a time as this. I tell myself that sometimes when I'm going through a difficult time, I'll look in the mirror, often on a treadmill at the gym, and it's been a tough week, and I'll say, Steve, you were born for this. You're a warrior. You're gonna make it. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. You cannot fail because he won't fail you. Some of you need to start speaking that to yourself. So God's story, your story, and then there's a, our story. That's the community that God plants you in. I've realized many years ago, nobody can make it alone. You, you won't survive. The battle is too strong. The enemy is too devious. You need strong relationships around you and they hold you steady. And they take time to cultivate. Honestly, the easiest thing in the world when you're misunderstood with your Christian youth group or somebody in your church is walk away, start again. It's often the worst thing you can do. Stay planted, work it through, deal with the pain and say, I know I feel like I've been misunderstood. I wanna talk this through and figure out what went wrong. You start behaving like that, maturity comes in. Strength of relationship comes. You will give others courage, they will give you courage, and you will go further with a group of godly people than you can by yourself. So make a choice to get connected. Don't get offended, don't get bitter, get connected. Walk it through. I'm not talking about sin or abuse. I'm just saying sometimes there's misunderstandings. They just need walking through. Stay planted. And then the last thing, and I've already preached it really, is their story. I believe God is calling us to fulfill the Great Commission. When Jesus had died on the cross, just before he's about to be ascended, it says all authority. He said, all authority is given to me. Now you go and make disciples of all nations. I didn't know it at 13, 14 years old, but in effect, what I did, I planted a church in my school. 
That language wasn't there then, but we were breaking bread, we were praying, we were reaching others with, for Christ, we had meaningful relationship. I'm like, what could you do in your university? What could you do with that bunch of friends that you hang out with? God will use you to reach those who are unreachable to other people. Two things, as I draw this to a close and invite Stu and Simon to come as well. We're gonna pray in just a moment. The two things I'm asking you to do, I'm kind of crash landing because of time. I'm asking you, number one, to surrender to his lordship. And say, Lord, I willingly submit to your leadership. I would say our world's gone crazy and God's looking for people that will turn things the right side up again. Could this be a generation that dresses modestly, lives modestly, doesn't need to flaunt its money, doesn't need to flaunt its abilities, doesn't need to flaunt its body, but says, I will be modest as a person, godly, holy, consecrated. I'll go against the flow. I'll make a vow before the Lord. Lord, I'm gonna surrender to you. In Jeremiah 6, 16, it says, Stand at the crossroads and look and choose the ancient paths. We're at crossroads. We're at a pivotal time in history. Your life matters. Will you choose the ancient paths? Will you give yourself to a life of prayer, a life of holiness, consecration? Go against the flow because you live for his eyes. I'm telling you, it will pay you huge dividends 500 years from now. When it really matters, when he's handing out rewards, I wanna make sure I've got no regrets on that day. <clears throat> One of my regular prayers. One of, one of my prayers, and you can steal this. I stole it from somebody. Lord, shock me now. Don't shock me then. <laughs> like, shock me now. Don't shock me on that day. Wake me up to what really matters. So my first thing is surrender. My second thing is, will you join God on his mission to bring his lost sons and daughters into the kingdom? Introduce them to Jesus to give your life to make disciples of other people. You can do it, he will help you. We're gonna pray. If you're comfortable where you are, you can just... Well, maybe I'm gonna do this. If you feel the Holy Spirit has touched your heart this evening and you're saying, Lord, I wanna live for your story, I wanna surrender to your leadership and I'm saying yes to you today, just stand up to your feet where you are and I'm gonna pray with you. And, and Stu and Simon, feel free to come. Okay, here's what we're gonna do. Even though we're all stood now, we'll stay quiet, so... Just put your hands in front of you. I'm gonna pray one Bible verse over you and I want you to pray it with me. It's from Isaiah 11 and verse two. And it's a verse about 
Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's seven attributes of the Holy Spirit. He's called the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of power or might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. I'm gonna pray for all seven of those attributes that the Holy Spirit would come as the person he is, but manifest those seven things within you. So Father, for everybody that stood and that has their hands raised, I pray in Jesus' name, may they have an understanding of what the Spirit of the Lord is. May they rest in the Lordship of Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord rest upon you. I pray that you give them the spirit of wisdom, the ability to know what to do. I pray that you would be to them the spirit of understanding. You can agree with me as I'm praying. Understanding complex situations, understanding your kingdom, understanding what it means to follow you. Would you increase by the power of, their, by power of the Holy Spirit their understanding? Would you give them the spirit of counsel, heavenly counsel when they're thinking of friendships, decisions, the future, how best to do this or that. May they be aware of the Holy Spirit as counselor speaking to them, maybe through a friend, maybe internally the inner voice of the Holy Spirit or maybe through the scriptures. Would you be to them today the spirit of might? Would you give each person who stood supernatural strength on the inside to follow through with the commitment that they're making an inner resolve like they've never known before would you strengthen their mind their will and their emotions in Jesus name and would you increase their knowledge of kingdom things and over it all I pray that you'd help us all to walk in the fear of the Lord to walk softly and gently before you, to live in the light of eternity and to walk humbly before our God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.